0: Atenção, ajeitando o pente Pelé, pintou o aniversário, vai marcar, atirou. GOOOOOOOOL! A
1: beleza de
2: gol! Um, do Brasil, Pelé! Hello everyone and welcome to Podcast your Sports Scientist podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to interview Tabata Castelo Branco Teles, a strong Brazilian woman that fights for good practice in science and sports psychology. But she also has fought in many different tatamis worldwide. Her main aim, however, was always the same, to research martial arts and Afro-Brazilian martial arts, for instance, capoeira and Brazilian karate. Her scientific career crossed many borders with time spent in France at Université Paris et Marlée Laveau. I think this is a French guy. We will hear this. He will just start to laugh right now. And the Institut de Sciences du Sport Santé de Université Paris-Descartes in Paris. She also spent time in Canada at McGill University, as well in Greece uh, at the University of Thessaly. Intensively, she has experienced practical exchange in South Korea and Japan. Currently, she's a postdoc at the University of Sao Paulo, but since last year, she is in Portugal as a part of additional scientific exchange at University of She She's also president of ABRAPESP, Brazilian Association of Sport Psychology. She loves surf, she speaks and understands six languages. My dear Tabata, how are you?
0: I'm great. After this introduction, I'm surprised. (laughs) Yes, um, first of all, uh, thank you for inviting me. I I think it's a very nice opportunity for us to share a little bit about our research projects and through uh, the backstage process which is um, even more interesting, because uh, usually we talk about the, the papers, uh, we have some questions about what we see when we write, but there's a whole history behind it, and sometimes we don't tell the, this history, how we get there. And in my case, it, it's it's all intertwined because I practice a lot of different martial arts and combat sports, so... Uh, For example uh karate i've practiced for for many years and capoeira just a few classes but usually i i started to do this kind of research with interviews and observations and now i'm doing an immersion process in my postdoc so now with brazilian jiu-jitsu for example but i also practice as i said different uh, fights so uh yeah that's what i was saying that's very interesting when you talk about the this histories that sometimes we don't tell people and that's even more interesting to know about the research when you know uh this the stories behind it
2: yeah just just a remark i remember one post that you made in facebook and then you wrote a long post talking about the history behind the paper and this is exactly what i think, as you saw, uh, as you said, that is interesting because normally when you think, oh, uh, well, I'm a scientist, you are kind of oriented to talk about the results and sometimes about the method, but the story behind is actually, and the person behind, as you are now in focus, is for me really important. But again, thanks, Tabadot, uh, for being here, but today we also have the honor to receive, to receive Marius Krusche, a PhD candidate at Institute for Clinical Neurosciences and Medicine Psychology. My first scientific friend in Germany and a passionate guy for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and former wrestling athlete. Marius, how are you?
1: Hey José, hey. Um, yeah, I'm great, thank you. Thank you very much for, for inviting me this, this morning. Um, I'm a late bird, so <laughs> so I need to need to. My my, my my pulse is still low, and I'm a little bit sleepy. But um, we will get through, and um, I hope I can contribute and um, to to your conversation and um, yeah to 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 engage in in a, in, a, in a nice dialogue and actually also to get to get to know uh, Tabata and her motivations. Um, in her, in her um, sports science research.
2: Nice, nice. Be sure. I don't worry. I also just woke up, but the point is now we are here and we just live in the present. Let's go. Okay, Tabata, could you tell me a little bit more about the story behind the publication entitled Karate, Capoeira and MMA, a phenomenological approach to process of starting a fight? So... How did you come up with this idea to write this paper and why?
0: Well, first, this is a uh, part of my PhD. And actually, when, when I started to uh, ask some fighters to, to describe to me some fighting processes, I at that time, I didn't know how I could organize, the. the for example, if I would be organizing in topics or related to each practice at that time, I didn't know. But when I started to analyze the interviews, I realized that they they divided into time when they started to describe me the fighting process, when they started to tell me about their experience. So every time they would say, okay, I start the fight doing this and that, and then I do this and that, and then I end the fight doing this and that. So this was the first time that I realized that I needed to divide into uh, this timing process. So um, I, it was the, for example, in Brazil, I, I, I know that we don't have this kind of organization in every country, but in Brazil, when we're doing a PhD process, in the middle of the process, we have what we call a qualification process, when you show to the jury part of the research and then you have some feedbacks and to improve to uh, the defense part. And at that time, I divided to present to the jury in the process of starting the fight, uh, the development of the fight, and then how we could end the fight. To the thesis, See. then I changed. <laughs> but at the time, I it, it was nice for me to have this, this kind of um, view of the process. And then I, I started to present the, the this part, these parts of my thesis in some Congresses. So in 2016, I presented in uh, IMAX, it's a, a conference from the International Martial Arts and Combat Sports Scientific Association. And then when I presented this part of starting the fight, uh, Professor Carlos Gutierrez, which is the, the editor-in-chief of RAMA, uh, the, the Artes Marciales of the Artes, And then he told me that's a very interesting paper. That's a very interesting idea. I think you should uh, do a paper to develop this, this discussion and please apply, submit to, to, my, uh, to my journal. I, I would love to receive this kind of contribution. And then I started to uh, improve the material to, to be able to, to publish. And there's another interesting part of this uh, publication part because it was only me and Cristiano Barreira, which is my my supervisor at the time, my advisor. And it was the first time that I was trying to publish a paper in English. And in English because usually okay I can talk I can understand I can present a paper in a conference I can write some short text but for the first time it was a whole paper and then I I received a lot of of feedbacks of negative feedbacks about the English part and then um, later on we started to to work with Anu Vaitinin which was the reviewer of the process and then we changed everything. She wasn't the reviewer anymore. She would be into the, the paper with us because she was also interested in martial arts, combat sports, and then we submitted again with another uh, reviewers to submit the paper and to improve not only the English part because her contribution was also regarding to the phenomenology part and the martial arts, combat sports part because uh, we share the same interests uh, interest in researching. So it's another interesting. Uh, I, I think I've never told anyone this. This part of the uh, of the process, the, the backstage, but it's very important because for us, uh, non-native yeah. English speakers, it's very hard to, to write in English and publish in English.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Well, as when I when I arrive in Germany, I also have I face this, and Marius, finally, is a guy who can show the improvement phase while well, I am still improving because I just arrived in Germany speaking Portuguese and now I speak three languages and this podium cast is actually in three languages and he, he can like tell you how the process is not only to do science but also to connect with people in science because they expect you to use the words that they use normally in the, the scientific community but it can be a little bit frustrating if you don't do that but this is a nice story yeah and then how how was the process how long did it take from like from the first submission until the end was it like a long process like one year or was even longer
0: i don't remember i was trying to find it right now because sometimes they write that in the paper yes they wrote that okay so it was yeah a year it was received in uh, november 2017 it was published in mm-hmm. October, 2018. So had a year. That's another interesting story because people think that to publish papers is very fast, but it's never fast. So a lot of, just-
2: yeah. yeah, the things is like a post in Facebook that you just click the, the publish button, and then it pop up. now. Nice. Yeah, Tabata, I saw in this paper that it was kind of guided by interviews using the phenomenological approach. Could you tell our audience what actually phenomenological approach
0: is? Well, that's another interesting question because uh, usually we see phenomenology very attached to um, qualitative research. So usually people say, oh, it's a kind of qualitative research, it's a tool for quality. Okay, but my point is, Uh, And and this is very linked to the time I spent in France. This was very important to me because I work with French phenomenology. So I spent half of my PhD into a philosophy department studying French phenomenology. And we need to say that over and over again that phenomenology is a, a branch of philosophy. So first of all, it's a a way of doing philosophy. It's an attitude, it's some positions that you assume when you you are uh, researching something, when you are looking at something. So that's the the main point to start with because uh, for example, I'm a psychologist and sometimes in uh, the the psychology field, people say that it's uh, okay, a psychological approach. No, if you read the text of phenomenology, you never find ways to, for example, work in a clinic with a patient. You won't find it, but it it will be helpful. And at the same time, you won't find uh, direct contributions to qualitative research, but you can be inspired by phenomenology to do interviews, for example. But you won't find in phenomenology texts direct ways to do Uh, interviews or or so ever and sometimes I I like to uh, poke people saying that okay and what if we use phenomenology to do quantitative research I'm not a I'm not a quantitative researcher but for example now in my postdoc I'm uh, I'm starting to do it because I'm working with some uh, some items to uh investigate the the uh, performance process and sometimes we must put numbers and I'm still doing phenomenology because the way that I do the way that I reach this item for example is a phenomenological process so uh, for me if you're doing a phenomenal a phenomenological research you're doing a phenomenological research and then you can use this kind of what I like to call it's not my word okay it's from the uh, Merleau-Ponty and uh, as an attitude that phenomenology is an attitude and later on I can put it in a qualitative research process or in a quantitative research process so in this case I used it to help me with the interviews which is the the most used when you if you go into the literature in the field you'll find that most of the papers are using phenomenology to interview, uh, which is not a problem at all. But the problem is to think that that's the only way to, to use or to work with phenomenology in, in researching.
2: So. I see. Yeah, can, can you give our audience an example how the interview goes? So like, it's a free interview that you just ask someone, how do you feel and then it starts from there? Or you have a script that, can you just give them a kind of short idea of what actually is the interview if you
0: use this phenomenological approach? Actually, it's very dynamic because when you're talking about phenomenology, one thing that is very important is the, uh, the idea of go-to to the things themselves. So we try to set aside what is not part of that experience to truly understand what that experience that experience is so when we're doing an interview uh it was not an open interview i, I had uh, three questions so uh which is to say that i i needed to ask the, those three questions but i could ask another questions if i if i had to if i felt to, etc when i'm telling this is that this is very dynamic is that we is what Bahira likes to call a suspensive listening that. Uh, which is to say, wh- when, I, when I'm when i listening to someone and I'm making these questions, I, I I try to set aside what I know from that subject. So, for example, even if I practice karate for 10, 20 years, if I'm interviewing a karate practitioner, I try to set aside my experience, uh, of my experience in karate, what I know that karate is, what I know people told me that karate is, because sometimes you're doing the 8th the, uh, interview, and sometimes you remember what the other guys told you, but you try to set that aside. But I like the idea that it's a uh, suspensive listening and that it's very dynamic. Another backstage process is that we can never do it completely. Just set aside these uh, these topics. Because we are humans. So when we are doing the interviews, we are trying to set aside all the time. Sometimes you are very into the interview and sometimes you you don't need to make a a great effort to pay attention to what the the person is saying. But sometimes the person tells you something that you already heard like three times and you need to set that aside because you need to understand that experience at that moment. And then when, when you analyze, so it's different because you're gonna cross what people said to try to find what is common among these interviews. So it's that's when I am saying that we have phases and we have some steps, and it's very dynamic because sometimes you need to set aside and sometimes you need to cross uh, the interviews, and then you need to cross the interviews with the uh, literature. So uh, it depends on the on the phase you are in the whole process
2: i understand really interesting yeah marius
1: yeah so so um am i is it correct then if i uh, assume that it's more like a it, it looks like um more f- a free space more like you're guiding but you're giving the um the space to for the for the uh, interviewed person to express um comprehensively what she or he thinks uh, in 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 all details and you you um, do not uh, intervene to a very strict and clear uh red thread through the interview like like um, you're careful you're careful to um to restrict them um, by their thinking but you let the, the process the thinking process in this person go going on so you can get all the little details or
0: is this like someone suspect? Actually, I think it depends on your research question. It all depends on, on what you're looking for when you're doing the interview. Because in my case, I was trying to understand the experience of fighting Coretti and Capoeira and MMA. That was my, my research question all the time. So I wouldn't be interested if those fighters started to tell me, uh, for example, technical aspects or um, the historical aspects. So I needed to guide somehow to the experience. Okay, so when you're there with another person, how is that? (laughs) That was my my research question.
2: Yeah, funnily, exactly like this was the question that Marius did in his master. And I remember this clearly because I was one of his pilot. Uh, participants and he has done something in a similar way where he has used force plates and the participants were on the force plate and Marius maybe you can tell better because you remember this
1: better than me but oh, it yeah. there
2: was, there was a kind of precision <laughs> process and this feeling of initiation the fight
1: yeah yeah, right it, it, was, it was not qualitative it was very quantitative as, as far as I remember myself because it's six years ago um, but the, the, um, the idea was more or less that um, as a fighter you learn specific habits, how to engage in a fighting sh- situation and then you're forced, you know, you're standing on this force plate and um, you get shown uh two very specific pictures it was basically me <laughs> trying to to like in and an attacking movement wrestling and taking movement um like on on uh, on kind of a video and then uh also a defensive movement and um then basically what i did was just uh, measure reaction times um to to look if fighters behave differently than non-fighters um, to certain color cues and these color cues that was my t-shirt on the video <laughs> indicating them if they also have to do an attacking movement or if they have to do a defense movement and the idea was that the congruency like there's a congruency effect for fighters that if they see um Defense movement, they will be reluctant to do an attacking movement, but because it's missed energy and other way around. If they see an attacking movement, they will do immediately the defense movement. But this kind, this this is vague for a novice. He doesn't know. Okay, this movement is threatening to me, so they will probably take less time. So it was very quantitative, not qualitative in this way. Yep.
2: Nice. Yeah, um Tawata going this direction but a little bit further to Japan, you know this year is a special year for us as a sports scientist. And what do you expect for the all martial arts and the Olympic Games in Japan? Do you expect to have more science involved? Or do you have some inside information? Do you think about that it will be always the same? In Japan will win all the judo. And karate maybe, and Brazilian will be like always oh, good, but we never know. How, how do you do? You have some information or what do you expect about the Olympic Games in Japan?
0: Oh, actually, interestingly, for women, judo for Brazilian women, judo is 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 our top medal uh, modality. So most of the female medals in Brazil are from judo. So Brazil is a very strong country in judo, but it's a very competitive setting. So it's even saying that it, we have Japan and we have uh, France, we have some, some other countries which are very strong in uh, combat sports uh, field. But actually it's, it's, it's polemical. But I am not so into the, uh, the sportive model uh, when I'm talking about uh, martial arts and combat sports. Um, and, and this is polemical because, for example, we have karate for the first time uh, in the Olympics, and probably the only time. Because to uh, 2024, they have already announced that they won't have a karate, but they won't—they will have a break dancing. So they changed. It was already announced. So that's a, a very interesting case—a case of uh, one and only olympic games modality but i i honestly i don't know if we're gonna have more science or not in brazil things are a bit complicated right now so um we have had some some kind of interesting interesting support in terms of uh, science to these athletes especially because of rio 2016 so uh, we had a time with not a good investment, but with a, with more investment in this field. But since it's over, because we have we've had this Olympics in two thousand and sixteen. Since this is over, things are very are not organized. We don't we don't see this in, these investments anymore. So. In terms of investment in science in in Brazil, in sports sciences in Brazil, what I can say is that uh, we don't have much investment as we've had in the past. So it gets complicated. And also in terms of the uh, the departments in the universities, we also have fewer investments. So I'm not talking only about federations and sportive associations, but uh, also in terms of universities who could be helpful in this moment, but they are also facing these these uh, problems. So what I'm trying to say is that I don't know exactly what to expect, but I'm, I'm not optimistic because of the whole scenario, you know.
2: Yeah, this, this means a lot. I fully understand your point. And I think this is a issue that although we do a really good sports science In general, uh, as a Brazilian, however, there are things that are out of our control. Talking about one thing that we can control, and maybe you, Tabata, can control more than me. Could you tell us a little bit about the Abra PESP? Well, what is Abra PESP? What it or she does or he does? Uh, and how is the, the point right now where you see, as a president of Abra PESP, that you can tell, well, we have improved this in comparison to our past and so on? So could you give our audience a little bit more about the background of ABRAPESP?
0: Sure. Uh, this is the Brazilian Association of Sports Psychology. And it was founded during the 2000 and something. <laughs> uh, it's always because some people say one year and the others say another one. So I, I, I prefer to say that it's 2000 and something. Because in Brazil, we have uh, sports psychology now. Is a part of uh, is a special specialization of the psychologist. Is one of the uh, is recognized as a, a specialty of the uh, psychologist. And it was since two thousand. So in two thousand we have this uh, this this change in our in our code. I don't know uh, how to say this in English, but we have a specific council of psychologists, and then they decided uh, so. And from, from this time on, uh, Professor Katia Rubio uh, started with the uh, Dabra Pest. So she's the main founder of the Brazilian Association of Sports Psychology, that understanding that we need to have an association to take care of this process and understanding that it's a specific specialty. I, I know that it's not a reality in, in none of countries. So it's, it's important to say, To tell this story again, because it's part of uh, the Brazilian way of doing sports psychology. Uh, But of course, we are very open to all the fields interested in sports sciences. So uh, we have with us psychologists, professional sports scientists, and uh, people from the uh, physical education field, and some physiotherapists and some uh, physicians so people interested in sports sciences are welcome in in our association and specifically from uh, 2019 to to now uh, because I, I started to to be president in 2019 that was when when we we were elected as a new uh, board uh we have we have had a very important, uh, a very important mission, which was to develop Abrapest in terms of communicate better uh, with other fields, with the people who are member of our community, and also to to develop a, a sort of uh, globalization process. So uh, it was interestingly, it was before the pandemics. <laughs> but with the pandemics it got stronger so we we weren't expecting to do everything we did it was uh faster because of the pandemics because uh, as everything was online so we needed to to improve our our social media our communication process uh, virtually and and we've had the opportunity to meet people as i met you for example so uh, if it if it weren't uh, the the pandemics, I, I don't think uh, we would be able to do everything we did we did the way we did. So uh, it it was interesting to to see how things uh, come up with the uh, the results.
2: Nice, nice. Yeah, I think this association has a lot of power and also has a lot of parts where he or he can increase so I think this is the right way to do science just look in the eyes of people make connections and share the small knowledge that we have and make our field be stronger and help more people nice Marius I have a question for you related to the topic of the our interview how was your feeling when you were right there starting your first fight because as a handball player, I always remember this because, yeah, I have everything related to, oh, there were my friends and so, but this is a munch sport, so it's a team sport. How was your first feeling when you said, okay, fight, and then wrestling? So how was your feeling? Just because I want to know this from your uh, perspective as a former wrestling athlete.
1: Uh, yeah, so I have to say I've never been to big competitions or so, so it was never really a big thing. It was always a ding, uh, ding, a thing I did next to my main life topics, so to speak. Um, But uh, and when it comes to that, I think I never had this kind of seriousness. I I felt a lot of curiosity. I was pumped with adrenaline for sure, and um, but. it was, I, before I always put things down like, okay, you do your best, it will be enough and whatever. And it doesn't really matter to you. You have all these other things you do and you know, but in the end, I, the process itself, I actually love it in a way that it's, um, I was in a kind of, med, med, it was not not meditation in a way that it was calm, not at all, but uh, but it was kind of meditative in a way that it puts you out of your uh, uh, life framework like uh, out of your ordinary life framework into the situation it forces you to be completely 100% in the situation and this is irrespective of uh, also in the moment where it starts you're there and you're immediately there you do not want to get hit you do not want to get thrown you do not want to get and you do your best and you go and you go and you go and this kind of um, uh, going going forward mentality I left it about this, uh, these kinds of sports so much. Um, This kind of pressure in this situation, pressure is really, really valuable. I have the feeling in a way that it also puts you forward, forward psychologically and that it, uh, you leave things aside, which have been problematic until the, 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 the moment where someone says, okay, now go hardcore. And, um, and that's, that's really really valuable. But until then I was just, I, I mean, there seems to be a reason why i'm not um not a professional competitor so first I have my health problems but second uh, and probably more important i'm not uh, in this i'm i never really got into this fight mode before i was always more more into oh yeah all people are the same and <laughs> it's, it was a little ridiculous <laughs> so um now that i started to <laughs> i was forced to reflect on my own fighting experience by uh, jose and i had finally to admit that i was not a competitor and um more in a lazy mood or in a chill mood in and in a, in a, <laughs> re- everyone loves anyone mood um and then being forced not to think so due to the fight uh you 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 um looked at uh, diverse athletes, he said, from karate and um, capoeira and uh, MMA fighters. And I think this, I just wanted to ask ESEA, this is quite some broad spectrum in a way that I think capoeira, I don't know how it is in Brazil, actually, um, but it's more playful just by by its nature, by its very nature. so you you have music going on and and you have very acrobatic and artistic movements and I mean nowadays MMA athletes also try to be incorporating them <laughs> with some more or less success but uh, are there are um, strong differences between the personalities in a way the MMA guys I met are really like hardcore guys I, I like you know I like really hardcore in the way then they're, they're not that playful there. Uh, often very serious when it comes to fighting and very like like they want to smash you also before the fight <laughs> 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 their mindset they're really like and they're often very pumped and they 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 are a little bit more serious after feeling do do you see some um, some distinctions uh, what are these distinctions if they are around uh, what they report about how to how how they engage in a fight are there systematic differences between the groups? Really nice question. Yeah, Talata,
0: it's very interesting what you said because it's a part of the the results in the paper that for mm. MMA fighters the fighter starts before the fighting itself. So I, yeah. I said that in the paper and just said that right now uh, when you mm. met the guys. And yeah, that's a point. For the it's very interesting and it's and it's completely different from karate uh, and capoeira, because uh, for karate and capoeira fighters, the fight starts in the moment when you are with the opponent, w- when you are in that place. For example, uh, whether in the Hoda in the case of capoeira, whether in the dojo, in the koto, in case of karate. Uh, but for MMA fighters, the fight starts when you simply know. Uh, who your opponent is so even if it's months before the fight the fight itself for them the fight has already started (laughs) they told me that well do you think that started for me
1: do you think that maybe it's also due to the process in a way that mma should be entertaining and like they know their uh, opponent weeks before or even months before and they they can look their opponent up in the internet on youtube and they really can get into this rage mood of uh, okay this guy i gonna smash and they can say this every day every day and like when you go to a tournament in karate i guess like there are then 50 people hanging around and then you know oh yeah this guy i saw him before maybe i will fight him if I get up to, uh, to if I get through my first two fights and then let's see, but but you nev- not have this narrow um, focus on one person you must basically destroy. <laughs> like that's, that's pro- this process fosters, it fosters this kind of like, I gotta smash you really hard. I always think of Mike Tyson, uh, or oh, I had to think of Mike Tyson when I uh, had a look at your paper because like, I think, the young Mike Tyson guy, I thought, like, when when was the time when he did not, um, be wasn't in a fighting mood? Basically, I think his whole life was basically just fighting mood, and then there was very rarely a moment of relief. And I think nowadays, when you see some interviews with him, it's mostly a relief. Uh, and he also always said he hated that guy back then, but um, but nonetheless, it's really interesting in a way that. Yeah, and I think this aggression uh, this part, this, that aggression is a part of, of MA, MMA actually. so Yeah, yeah. yeah for, for sure.
0: for sure. And, and uh, when we understand fighting in a phenomenological uh, approach, uh, we have the, the intentionality part. So we fight towards something, a, a person, a subject, a person, an object. So fighting is always related to another thing. So I fight a person, I fight for a reason, I fight directed to something. So in the case, as as Marius was saying, when we have karate, for example, we go to the tournament and we don't know uh, the people we're fighting. Okay, sometimes we know, but still this person uh, can be injured and, and maybe there's another person for me to fight there. For example, you don't know exactly, what's going to happen. You just know when you get there. And in capoeira is the same. Even if you're in the hoda, you won't fight with every person in the hoda. So you don't know. Sometimes a guy invites you to fight in that moment you you weren't expecting, and then you go there and you you fight. But in, in MMA, this intentional process is completely different because you know who your opponent is. So we have this this rage and this aggression uh towards that person (laughs) Mm -hmm. so what we have as Marius also was saying you have uh, this uh uh promotion and it's a a huge event and you have trash talkings towards this person and when you do sparring you do sparring to someone who is uh similar to that person so everything is very related to that person that's that's uh, why they were saying that the fight starts months before because to to have a fight you must have an opponent an object to uh to move to it
2: thanks marius for your feedback I really appreciate that, and nice to hear from your side. What, how was the feeling to start the fight, Tava, This brought me to a, a consideration. You said at the beginning that you divided based on the interview you collected, the fight, and at the beginning, which is the topic that we are talking now, the middle, and also the end. But do you can can you tell us about after the fight feeling? So let's gonna say the finish, the fight just finished. So, do you have some information from on, on those fighters about what kind of feelings they have to deal with just right after the fight? Because I also this I think this is a really important um, issue here.
0: I have a sort of a paper on that because I presented yeah. the, the the end of the fight in Johascam, which is uh, as a French. Uh, Okay, it's, it's a journée de recherche. Okay, it's a group that studies. I don't remember what the uh, the letter stands for, but Jeanesca means a, a group of martial arts and combat sports researchers. Uh, nowadays, not only in France, they have uh, another researchers from other, other countries, and and they have a, a conference in every two years. And then in, I guess it was 2000. Oh my God, 18 maybe. I presented this part of ending the fight, and then they they have uh, they have had a book with the uh, presentations of that um, conference, and then I got the 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 whole text. I developed again another text. It's in French. It's not in English. It's in French, but
2: it's, it's easier for us. Don't
0: worry. <laughs> yeah, but it's. Uh, the, but the point is, again, we have interesting uh, things to say when we're comparing these three different um, modalities, which was on purpose when I when I chose these three. I agree with Marius; it's broader, I know, but it was on purpose to choose uh, three very different modalities. And when we're talking about kareti, we have uh, the traditional aspect of martial art. Um, especially regarding to Eastern philosophy and you must respect your opponent so sometimes we've had some uh, some uh, uh, stories saying that okay I won but I can't uh, for example cheer I can't be uh, uh, very joyful because I, I must respect the opponent so okay it, it was Only another day, only another part of daily life. Okay, I won, that's okay. But at the same time, I won, I can lose. So either you win or you lose, whether you win or you lose, you must stay in this cold mood, for example.
2: I see. Yeah, this is quite different comparing those uh, modalities. Yes,
0: and and in Mm Capoeira, it goes over and over again it's interesting because in capoeira you can't see how it ends because it ends when the harder ends because if you go to the middle of the of the wheel of the circle people are fighting and then if if that fight stops then that's another fight and then that fight stops and there's another fight and the music goes on and and, fight, and the fighting process goes on with different people so it's it's a completely different a way of of doing the the fight MMA, I guess it's it's closer to the way we, uh, we usually see because uh, as I said, is uh, nowadays especially if you have a UFC and Bellator and these uh, these uh, this huge uh, organizations of MMA fights, so it's it seems like a celebration. <laughs> so it is the fight, and you're the king, and you have the uh, belt and so on so uh, yeah three very different ways of ending the fight
1: quite interesting
2: (laughs) marius do you have any more questions because if you don't i will.
1: (laughs) no no thank you very much like for your um comprehensive answers and and insights um because like, uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to also to think about the, um, yeah, the, the the consequences, for example, like I immediately, when you talked about the karate guys, I thought, oh my God, that's a, these are so nice people. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, strong when they have to be, but then, then they, uh, they, they can control their emotions. And that's also some kind of strength, I guess, which is not valuable enough in our world. But, um, yeah, potentially
2: next time, uh, Tabata, you can talk, you can come to Podiumcast again and then we can talk about the feelings at the end. And this will also add because then we have this um, beginning, the end, which is um, part of the fight. But yeah, I really appreciate that we talked about this. Tabata, heading to the end, I want to ask you, what kind of advice could you give to young generation of sport scientists and sport psychologists? for those working in the applied field. So based on your own experience, what kind of advice could you give to them?
0: Well, there's one thing I've learned and I've learned it very late, I guess, but, but not too late because I'm doing uh, this right now. That is, uh, you can do what you like. You can do uh, something that you're passionate uh, with and still you can do serious research on that so uh it took a while for me to truly understand that it's a tough path it's not easy because when you do something that you love sometimes you need to set some things aside to do uh to do a good research but when you know how to recognize it, uh, to see this, these problems and to try to balance it. I, I guess that researching becomes more fluid, becomes uh, more, um, you do it in a smooth way because doing research, is tough. We know it's tough. So uh, when you do it in a rigid way, in a very um, rigid way, Yeah, that's the word. When you do it in a very rigid way, sometimes you won't do it properly. You can give up. You can be very stressed. Sometimes things won't go because you're not in the mood. You're not feeling excited about what you're doing. But on the other way around, as I said, if you're too excited, if you're too passionate, sometimes you can just go with the flow when it's difficult to step back sometimes and to see things different, differently, to try to make it serious as it must be, as it should be. But it's possible. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that it's possible. So for me, it's very sad when I, when I hear people saying that oh I would love to research that but no one was researching this topic and then I started to do another different thing a very cold topic to me just because people said so people said it would be interesting it's just sad for me because for me we are losing good researchers because when you research something that you love that you feel it's interesting sometimes it's a very intuitive process I I guess I'm a very intuitive researcher sometimes I don't know exactly what I'm doing but I feel it's that way and then I start to reflect on that okay it's because this and that (laughs) and then we have to to do this kind of step sometimes you go there uh with your instincts instinct (sighs) but I don't know if it's the proper word but yeah in a very intuitive way but then we need to step back and to observe what we're doing to reflect on that so there's a way to do it so i I guess that would be my my message
2: nice yeah tabata thanks a lot marius thanks a lot as well for your attendance have an amazing day and see you next week at podium